for the, over the weekend, all right, wondering, is he going to, he was like, well, you think you'll know by six? I said, I don't know if I'll know by 840, right? I mean, I just don't know, because when it, when it decides to show up, it shows up, but God's graciousness is allowing me to get through both services today, so I'm very thankful for that. All right, so as we uh, go into the, today's sermon, I want to re- call your attention to the John 20, 24 through 31 passage. We're not going to reread it. I will point a couple things out to you. But uh, we know this passage of Scripture, as uh, for many of us, we know it as, a, as the Doubting Thomas passage, right, where we're, where we're introduced to this guy who really kind of, I mean, wouldn't, don't you think Thomas would have been very happy if this particular event in his life was not recorded for everyone of all time to read, uh, he failed, right? He failed. He had doubts. And uh, I think it's um, something that he would have been very glad to have been, uh, you know, maybe put in the margins somewhere, right? Not, not front and center. These are the words of Jesus to Thomas. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. Jesus, uh, in his, as resurrected, right, his, his, his earthly ministry complete in the sense of, of his death, burial, and resurrection, right? He has not ascended into heaven, but he is, he is here, and he's communicating to Thomas, and he's saying, be characterized by belief. Don't be characterized by unbelief. And I, I think what he's saying is doubt is a form of unbelief. Uh, and, and so certainly he's trying to encourage him. And so I, I think that we ought to understand that Thomas is not the only person who has experienced doubt as it relates to Jesus. I ask you to remember when you came to faith in Jesus Christ. Remember that time when the gospel made sense to you and you understood that you have been brought from death to life and life eternal. But now I'm asking you to remember, what well, your, what were, was your view of Jesus prior to that moment? For me, I could have talked about Jesus all day and yet not had faith that I was going to heaven. I could have talked about Jesus and told you all kinds of things in the Bible. And I did this with people, actually. And they thought I was a Christian, but I was not a born-again believer. And so Thomas, as we as we consider him, let's cut him a break this morning. He's not the only person that ever experienced doubt when it, as in, in relation to Jesus. Think about Peter. Peter and the other disciples doubted, right? They doubted uh, at the garden. They doubted at the cross because they weren't there, right? John was there. Uh, and then and they doubted even when Peter even doubted when he ran to the tomb with John. Remember? He was scratching his head. What does this mean? It wasn't like he was like, oh, yeah. I can't wait till that third day when Jesus rises again from the dead, right? Uh, I can't wait till Jesus shows his face again and I can hear his voice. Peter was the one that, that doubted and, and Jesus restored him to confidence in himself. Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. And Peter did some amazing things, but he was characterized by doubt. Some of the recipients of John's letter were characterized by doubt. And we'll, we'll look at that in a few moments. Uh, but I think maybe sometimes we have doubts. I know I've had times of doubt in my life, uh, and I don't want to quantify it in any sense. I mean, doubt is doubt. And what, what you might encounter in a given day may cause you to re- reflect upon, well, how do I know this is all true? Well, I think that's what John is kind of doing in this whole letter that we've been looking at. He's, he's 
he's going to refer to them as his children. He's going to say, my beloved. And there's this love relationship that exists between John and the recipients of his letter. And, and he knows that because of the false teaching going on in the world, in their world, he's saying, listen, don't let these people shake your confidence. Don't have doubts. Right? You need to be characterized by believing, as Jesus told Thomas. So how can we overcome times of doubt in our Christian life? I mean, that's just a question for us to consider today. I'm going to use it as an intro into the text. I mean, John's trying to encourage uh, the recipients of his letter how to overcome their doubt. So I think we can learn how we can overcome our doubt. And so uh, my answer to that question is we must develop strong biblical convictions. All right, you may be thinking, what does this have to do? Well, we'll get there in a minute. How can we overcome times of doubt in our Christian life when we develop strong biblical convictions? So let me just start off by saying what I, what I don't mean by this slide. I don't mean the convictions that some of us say, you know, the, the, the guy that will pound the pulpit and say all kinds of hard things and, and the preacher comes across as being angry and mean and, and, uh, and I don't want to come across that way. That's not, that's, not, that's not what I mean by strong biblical conviction. When we talk about convictions, first of all, let's understand they're biblical. They're based in Scripture. They are drawn out from Scripture. They must be, they must be looked through the lens of Scripture. And if they don't match, if something's wrong, then, then it's not biblical. So first of all, they must be uh, biblical. Secondly, they must be developed. We are not saved uh, in a moment, Right? And then, well, we are saved in a moment, but we're saved in that moment. But it's not like we have all our convictions in play. It's not like all of a sudden, I know this and this and this and this. It's like, it's like uh, this one just came to me. It didn't come to me in the first service. But if I only had a brain, right? And that, and that tin man was given that certificate and, oh, the isosceles triangle, the, you know, whatever, right? He knew everything at that point. It doesn't happen that way, folks. Our convictions are developed and they're developed in relationship to Scripture. So we're gonna, I want you to consider if you've ever had a doubt in your, in your faith. Uh, maybe you're having a doubt right now. Maybe you're not a believer here in the room maybe, or joining us online. Welcome, by the way. Uh, maybe, you, maybe you're not comfortable with this idea of being a Christian. Well, I want to encourage you today that uh, if that's a form of doubt, um, and I want to encourage you to come to faith in Jesus Christ. But maybe our doubts are future-oriented. Maybe uh, we'll deal with some children that have some doubts. We just heard two testimonies. Young kids get saved, grow up, a little bit of doubt. What happens? Reassurance, right? Recommitment. Not that they get saved again. It's just that they, they kind of resolve their doubts. And how do they do that? Well, we're going we're gonna to look into this. We must develop strong biblical convictions. So let's consider Thomas's response to Jesus for a minute. He says in verse 28, uh, my Lord and my God. Jesus says, don't be characterized by unbelief. Be characterized by belief. And Thomas, as he sees Jesus, as he hears his voice, he says, my Lord and my God. What a testimony, right? But let's just consider this. He is known as Doubting Thomas. That's the name we've, we've given him. But do you think he doubted for a moment after that experience? Do you ever think there was a time in Thomas's life where someone could have said, you know, I don't really know if this Jesus guy is real. Thomas would be like, oh, no, no, no. He's real. I saw him. I heard him. 
after his death and burial, he resurrected, and, and I, was, I was with him, right? This is beautiful. He's not doubting Thomas any other time after he saw Jesus Christ. So what changed in Thomas's life? Well, I've already used the word. Uh, his doubt was replaced by conviction. Conviction. And so we're, we're going to look into that a little, little bit. So nobody could cause him to doubt the reality of Jesus as the Son of God. I got ahead of myself, but that's the truth. But our doubt can be replaced by conviction as well. Do you struggle with understanding and, and remembering and believing all the things that you've heard? And, and, and those doubts come in. How do you resolve those? Well, they need to be replaced by conviction. Now his doubt, Thomas's doubt, was replaced by conviction based on sight. Our conviction, our doubt can be replaced by conviction based on God's word. And that's, and that's what's going to lead us into this thought as we go um, in, into the text here. Uh, uh, before we get to the text, it's, it's, uh, notice this. At, at Jesus culminates this, uh, this discussion. He says, because you have seen me, Thomas, you have believed. Notice this. This is a word for us. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That's you and me. We've never seen Jesus. We've never heard Jesus. We've never touched Jesus. We will do all the above at some point in time, but not yet. But notice what Jesus says is, blessed are those, those other people who believe and yet have not seen. And I think that what we're supposed to understand there is that Jesus says we can believe just as strongly as Thomas. Thomas, doubting Thomas, is no longer doubting. He saw Jesus, heard Jesus, touched Jesus, but we can have just as much confidence to believe as he did. All right, so what does it mean to have conviction? Conviction is the idea of a firmly held belief or opinion. All right, uh, and so has John been writing about firmly held belief? Well, since word one for the most part, but I'll, I'll draw your attention specifically to verse five of chapter five. Who is it that overcomes the world? That was this question. Except what? The one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. He's saying this is the one who has, has this, this belief, this, this one that's characterized by belief. We are overcomers. We are victorious. We've talked about that. But it's anchored in the person of Jesus Christ as the Son of God and what he accomplished. Uh, so as we look at 1 John 5, 13 through 15, uh, we're going to consider this big idea. Knowing the Word of God that word knowing is important. It's, John's used it a lot. Knowing the Word of God is the means of strengthening our biblical convictions. Are you a student of the Word? But even more than being a student, because a student still sounds very school-like. doesn't sound very joyous, right? Let's think about doctrinal depth. It's one of these principles that we value. And what do we say? Even the word doctrine sounds like, oh, how boring. No. Knowing the Word of God means this is the way we strengthen in our biblical convictions. And doctrinal depth says that if we, a passion for God draws us deeper into His Word. But the, I said a few weeks ago, the reverse of that is true. As we engage in His Word, we have a greater passion for our God. And it's, it's true both ways. And so we ought to be characterized by knowing the Word of God. And when we know the Word of God, our convictions are strengthened, and therefore we can stand in, in those times of doubt. 
So John targets three convictions which battle against our doubt as we look in this text. So I didn't, I didn't actually put the text on the screen. I totally forgot. So let me just read verses 13, 14, and 15. I have them in individual, just not in all together here. Um, so first, uh, first John 5, starting verse 13, says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. All right, so verses 13 and 14, pretty simple stuff. Those are the uh, first two convictions we're going to talk about. The f- verse 15 is going to take a little bit more explanation, but I think uh, you'll enjoy uh, the process here. All right. First conviction we're going to consider today that John is encouraging his doubting believers in, in, uh, that are receiving and reading his letter. God's word tells us that we can know we have eternal life. This is one of those, John has been saying this from the beginning. He is very gospel motivated. He has been talking about the gospel, the gospel, the gospel the entire time. And so one more time, and man, I don't even know if it's the last time, right? But I'll say this. He's telling us that God's word tells us that we can know we have eternal life. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. So what, is, what does it mean, I write these things? Well, it, this is the, I think this is the third time he's used this term in this letter. So let's look, at, let's look at those, right? The first time he used it was in 1 John chapter 1, verse 4. And he said, these things we write. So remember, that was John saying, hey, listen, we are going to give a testimony, a witness of Jesus Christ. We've seen him, we've heard him, we've touched him. We're coming to you to tell you all about him. And these things we write to you. And then he says in 1 John 2, 1, and my, my little children, these things I write to you. And he, he was saying, listen, I have this personal experience. I want to write to you specifically in certain areas. So he's, he's already explained a couple times why he is writing. He's saying, I've written these things for a purpose. Well, what purpose? Well, that's going to the next part of those verses. The first purpose, he says, I write these things to you. We write these things to you that your joy may be full. Now, folks, this came up in a discussion on Thursday. I walked into our Thursday morning meeting, and I said, can we have some joy in our Christian faith? And I was thinking to myself, I just finished listening to a, con- I can't even call it contemporary. It was a song from way back. It was definitely up-tempo. I was listening to it on the car- in the car, and uh, I think it was an African-American choir was, was singing, and, and, and I walked in the, in the room, and I'm just like, I wanted to say, if you were here last week, you'll get this, right? Can I get a witness, right? And I wanted to say, can we have some joy in our faith? And I thought this morning as we sang, we're talking about convictions, and I don't remember, I, I tried to pull it up, uh, my phone wouldn't let me pull it up, but the, one of the songs we said that we're holding firm to something, right? We're holding on. And it listed these things. And, and, and both that song and the song that we're going to sing at the end of this service are songs of conviction, biblical conviction that we can hold on to. And, and, and so John is saying here in chapter 1, verse 4, listen, I'm writing these, we're writing these things to you that, you may, that your joy may be full. And folks, listen, let's get a witness that God, Christian faith is joyful faith. It is, not, it is not a, I worship a commandeering God. He's commandeered my life and I can't do anything I want to do. No. 
We are no longer slaves to sin. We're slaves to righteousness. We get saved so that we have the freedom to obey God and experience life, abundant life, to the full. Our joy is full because we're in Christ. And if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, punt the idea that Christianity isn't fun and understand that Christianity is truly joyous to know that you are in right relationship with a holy God who will never, ever, ever separate you from himself when you come to faith in his son. He says, secondly, my little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. That's a good thing. You know, it's like good parenting. You tell them what to do and what not to do. Be joy, be full of joy, and don't sin because the sin takes your joy away. It doesn't take your salvation away. It takes your joy away. He also uses this term in the Gospel of John. This was read earlier, and, and notice it says, but these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. There's a lot of parallels between this verse and the verse in, in 1 John. He says here that believing you may have life. And this is the gospel. John wrote the gospel. Why did John write his gospel? Well, he told us, so that you might have life. He's writing to a bunch of unbelievers. And he's saying, listen, I'm writing this so you can have life. When you get to 1 John 5, 13, he says, I write to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, right? That's important. Why? Well, we know the recipients of John's letters are already Christian. They already have life. Why is he writing? They are told that they can know something, right? They're going to be told that they know, they can know they have this life. So let's look. It says, I write these things to you who believe, right? Christians, in the name of the Son of God, that you may know. Here's this word again, know. Remember, there's multiple uh, words that in Greek to, uh, that communicate this idea. So we'll look at those in just a second. But he says that you may know that you have eternal life. This word oida, is this, that's how you render the Greek word for know. Uh, it's, the, it's to have the knowledge as to how, how to perform something. This is important. To how to perform, right? As you go on, it says, this is intuitive knowledge, talking about oida, gained by instruction, not experiential knowledge, which is gnosko. That's the, those are those two words, oida instructional knowledge, knowledge that we have been taught. Experiential knowledge is what we've come, and we, we know it because we've experienced it, right? So there's different ways of communicating what we know and we don't know. And so this is important. He says here, the, uh, this particular author, this is something that we can, uh, that can be known apart from experience. We don't have to experience it to know truth. It is known by believing what? Believing God's testimony. What God has revealed to us, not looking to one's works for assurance. We don't have to live upon our experiences to get through the day. We can memorize scripture as all those Awana kids did. And they can encourage themselves. They've never lived half the life we have. And yet they're, they're memorizing God's word and they're putting God's word in their heart that they, they might not sin against him. And, 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 and so we can understand this as we know this idea of knowing we don't have to experience it. We can be told it. We can be taught it. And that's why we're tied to the Word of God. So this knowing is a present knowing. As he says um, in verse 13, I'm writing these things, that you may know that you have eternal life. It's a present, confident knowing based on past faith. It's that idea of the perfect. It's a perfect subjunctive, so it's the idea that you may know this. This is that I've written this, that you may know. It's the idea of, 
of in the now, in the present, you can know what? That you have eternal life. How many people have you heard say, well, I don't, I don't know if I have eternal life. I'll know when I get there. I know plenty of people that know they're going to hell because they tell people all the time, see you in hell. I always hated that, that joking thing in the military, right? I mean, two, these warriors that are capable of doing so much and, and their bravado brings them to the point of saying, see you in hell as if that's a good thing, right? Like we've won the victory if we see each other there. It's like, no. It's the most discouraging words you can ever say. Why? Because they have not come to know the present confident knowing, the present confident knowing that faith in Jesus Christ, you can have life eternal now. And you can know it to be true. That's what John is saying. Don't let these false teachers mess you up. Believe the word of God. And I'm telling you what that word is, John said. So I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And so I encourage you this morning. Do you know that you have it? Can you give testimony like we've already heard? Can you stand, not that you have to join church, but if we gave you a microphone, can you say, yes, I came to a knowledge of the person of Jesus Christ, the Son of God who died on the cross for my sins. Can you say that? Because that's important for you to know and for you to be able to do. So the having of eternal life is focused in the present. Without a doubt, we can have it now. Do you know that you have eternal life? That's when we bring up this slide. Don't get tired of it. Embrace it. Use it. Memorize it. It's the idea that God created man who fell into sin, and sin has a consequence of death. But God did not want to see people destined for hell for eternity, so he sent his son into the world, his one and only son, to die on the cross. And whoever comes to faith in him has life. What life? Eternal life. That's what he just said. It's eternal, and you can know it now. And the the essential nature of that is Jesus Christ comes on the scene. So conviction number one is this idea that we, God's word tells us that we can know we have eternal life. It was an encouragement for John to give to his people. He's saying, have confidence in this. Have this as a conviction. Uh, the second conviction, uh, it kind of built, it definitely builds on it. And it's, it's this, God's word tells us that we can know God hears our prayers. Now, if you ever need comfort, it's nice to know God's listening, isn't it? And when you're, when you're in your, uh, struggling with something, when, when you've had uh, a difficult, difficult time in your life, it's nice to know God is listening. And, uh, and he is a listening God. And that's what we're going to be told here as we look at verse 14. But I want you to understand, God's word is what tells us this. And you wouldn't know this without the word of God. God tells us that we can know that God is listening. And he hears you. And he longs for each of us to turn to him in prayer. He says in verse 14, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us, right? Wonderful news. So let's let's look at this word confidence for a minute. And this is the confidence. Listen, prior to coming to faith in Jesus Christ, I didn't have any of that, right? When Jesus Christ changed me from the inside out, when he redeemed me, He started the process of of building convictions in my life. Confidence comes when you know what you believe. 
And, and, and John is saying this is the confidence that we have toward him, speaking of God, right? This is the confidence that we have towards him. Uh, what is the confidence? Well, first of all, it's the fourth time John's used this word. Let's just look at him quickly, all right? We've we got to keep moving here. He says in, in chapter 2, verse 28, Little children abide in him so that when he appears we may have confidence and not shrink in shame. He says in chapter 321, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. That's important, before God, right? Verse uh, 17, chapter 4, By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. What, 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 what is he talking about? That's when we were talking about the righteousness of Christ. Jesus Christ, the righteous. We are righteous because Jesus Christ, by coming to faith in him, he has made us righteous. His righteousness has been given to us as our sins were placed on him. Right? So here's John. He loves this word confidence. What does it mean? It's the idea, it means to, to feel free to come into God's presence. Those people that are saying she and hell are not saying they have confidence to come into God's presence. They are saying the exact opposite. They think with their lifestyle and all that they've experienced and, and the sin that they're guilty of, there's no way they could ever be in the presence of God. What about you this morning? Do you feel free to come into God's presence? Well, that's what this word means. As, as John is writing to Christians, he's saying, listen, we have this confidence it's a confidence that we have, we possess it, and it's toward him. And what is the confidence? Well, it says it right there in the end. He hears us. That's the confidence. We've got a, a clause in between, a phrase in between. We'll, we'll deal with that in a minute. But notice this. We can have this confidence. The Word of God tells us God hears us. God hears us as his children. There's never a time where he's not fully aware of and listening to what's going on in our life. But there is a condition. There's a condition to God hearing our prayers. Uh, I would say the first condition is, is having faith in his son. I would say that. And often the first, the first prayer, you've heard this said, often the first prayer God hears, I mean, obviously he hears everything, he knows everything, but we're talking about his positive response towards a prayer of faith, right? Acknowledging that Jesus Christ, his son, uh, is your savior, Right? Uh, there is a condition to God hearing our prayers. That's the, God hears the prayers which are according to his will. That's what he says in that text. If we ask, and this is the confidence we have towards God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So there is this condition. Uh, what does it mean? It means God hears the prayers which are uh, according to his will, or better, I think, for us to understand, accord with his will. You yeah. uh, know? You can say according to uh, the Constitution of the United States, we have thus, 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 and thus, right? I got it. According to that, yes, that's what it says. But listen, this is the idea of when we are in the act of praying to our Heavenly Father as His children, we are capable of praying in accord with His will. To be in accord is to be in agreement to be in accord is to be is saying the same thing. We desire the same thing. We, we believe the same thing. And so God, the prayers that God is, is hearing from us are those that are, that are agreeing with him and agreeing with his will. How do we know his will? That's one of those big questions. I obviously, I, I, I often go, 
Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It's on certain people's license plates, if you ever want to know. All right? So uh, she's in the room. I won't point her out. All right? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own, unto your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. Right? So listen, you want to know what the will of God is? Trust him. Acknowledge him in all, his, in all your ways. Don't lean on your own understanding. And he's going to direct your path. So if, you're, if you are trusting, you're acknowledging, and you're not leaning, wherever you are is the will of God. That's my simple math. And that's how I get through life. Because I'm like, Lord, I've, I've failed to acknowledge you. I know that I'm out of the will of God. But Lord, as I'm acknowledging you in all my ways, and as I'm seeking you, I, I think I am where you have me to be. And I have to have confidence in that. Why? Because that's what your word says, and that's the main idea. Knowing the word of God is the means of strengthening our biblical convictions. And when we have strong biblical convictions, we can stand against doubt. All right? So we know God's will as we commune with him through his word. So no, that's just another way of kind of emphasizing. Knowing the word of God is what strengthens us. It's the idea that we know his will as we commune with him through his word. A Christian can never be separate from God's Word. We must be, it must be part of who we are. Not as a legalistic uh, drudgery, but as a beautiful, joyous experience of, of being freely coming in to hearing the Word of our Heavenly Father. So conviction two is that God's Word tells us that we can know God hears our prayers. Conviction three just gets better and better. It's the idea God's Word tells us that we can know God answers our prayers. This is beautiful. God's Word tells us that we can know God answers our prayers. He says in verse 15, and if we know, right, there's that word, know. Uh, first of all, let me just say this, this word, if. It, it, is, uh, it can also be translated as since, all right? You can have either or. It's the idea, this is, because you can't think of a time that, you know, that he, um, we can't envision a, an omniscient God not knowing and not hearing us, right? We can't in one sense. But he says, since we know, he's building upon what he just said. John is saying, since we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we, ha- we have asked of him. So we, we focus on these two words again, to know. Again, they're in the perfect, but they're also, uh, it's the idea of this, this past event is still, um, let, me, let me make sure, let me make sure this is, yeah, yeah. We, we know that he hears us. I'm getting my confusion. It's, it's the perfect, but it's, it's uh, translated as the present, right? Because this a perfect thing is something that's happened in the past, and we have continuing uh, consequences as a result of it. We know that he hears us because he's God, right? And we know in the now that he hears us. Whenever, whatever we ask, he hears us. We know that we have the request that we have asked of him. So this idea of no, this is both these are the oida words. The, we know this from instruction. We know God is God and we're not. We know that throughout scripture he portrays people as, as praying requests and those requests being fulfilled. But listen, we also know that there were questions or prayers that were lifted up that weren't answered quite the way that people wanted them answered. Do you remember Paul saying, Lord, I pray, would you remove this thorn of the flesh from me? And what did God do? He said, no. But what did he do? He gave him more grace. 
All right, so this idea of knowing is important. We know that we have the request that we have asked of him. Isn't it nice to know, based upon this, word, this, this text, if we all just bowed our heads and closed our eyes and asked God to give us a million dollars, we would get it. Isn't that what this text is saying? We're saying we know that we have the request that we asked of him. Lord, give me a million dollars. We know that's not true. There's that word again. We know that's not true, right? We're not all going to get a million dollars. Why? Because verse 15 is tied to verse 14, and the conditional aspect of 14 is it must be according to his will. We can't take this verse out of context as the prosperity gospel people do and say, if I, if I claim it in the name of Jesus, I'll receive it. Well, what, and, and if you are not experiencing wealth and health and all these things, then somehow you are deficient in your Christian life. That's what the prosperity gospel says. It says you can have whatever you want, and if you don't have it, you're deficient. That's not what this says. It's saying that we know we have the request. Well, what request are we talking about? It's the request that had been prayed in accord with the will of God. The having is once again in the presence. We have it now. He's saying very clearly here, we know that we have the request. We have them now, just like salvation. We have it now. Eternal life, excuse me, eternal life. We have it now, verse 13. It's not something we have to wait for. It's something we have now. We don't have to wait for the, uh, we, we don't have to wonder, excuse me, we do have to wait oftentimes. We don't have to wonder if we, if we have our prayers answered. They are answered there at that moment. But I think what we need to understand is although the having is once again in the present, our prayer is answered in the moment, but it may not be seen, experienced immediately. We can have the cognitive taught knowledge, the instruction, God answers prayers that are in accord with his will. Done deal in the now. That's the way God is. That's the character of God. But our prayers are answered in that moment, but it may not be seen. Have you ever thought about the, the prayers that you've prayed and, and you just haven't had an answer? You're just wondering what's going on. They have been answered, folks. It may have been yes, no. It may have been, been uh, not yet, right? There's any number of answers that, can be, that God can uh, convey to us. But uh, it's not so frequent that we pray something and it immediately happens, although it does, that does happen, praise the Lord. All right? The answer may not be what we expect, but it is answered in the way it was prayed. And so don't let this verse uh, uh, mess you. Let's see, do I have that verse again? No, let's go back to this text. Don't let this verse mess you up. Don't, call, don't allow doubt to come into your life. Well, I don't get the request that I pray for. No. You have to ask yourself, God is God, and he's true to his word, and his word is, is telling us he answers prayer. Conditioned upon, are they in accord with his will? Well, wait a minute, Pastor. That seems a little bit backwards. That seems, uh, you know, because, you know, I'm, I'm thinking, why pray? If God's just going to do what God's going to do, why do I pray? It kind of seems silly, doesn't it? It does if you have the wrong perspective. The primary benefit of prayer is not in the answering, but in the communing. It's not getting what we want. It's being in accord with his will. Listen, we think of our prayer life as this thing, well, I got to pray for, for healing here and healing here and for this and this and this and, and this and this and this. And, and I ask you, is there joy in your prayer life? 
Is there intentionality in your prayer life? Is there conviction in your prayer life? Do you have the conviction that God is answering your prayer because you know that your prayer is in accord with his will? Listen, when we pray, we're not so much praying for answers. We're praying to be in, in the right communing with God that we would arrive at the same conclusion he is. We are, we, are, we are seeking to be those people who are so knowledgeable about our Heavenly Father that we know what He's thinking. We know that's true in other relationships, right? Whether it be, um, whether it be uh, friendships or marriages, right? Have you ever finished a sentence for the other person? Because you know them so well. well I know what you're going to say, and you're right, right? Because you know them so well, because you spent time together and you know each other. That is the idea of prayer. When we step into God's presence with prayer, we can have confidence because of our salvation in Jesus Christ that he hears us and he answers us. Don't ever think that God's not answering prayer. What we're supposed to grow in, to put the focus on us, what we're supposed to grow in is our understanding of the will of God. And that only comes through an interaction with his word. So knowing the word of God is the means to strengthening our biblical convictions. John is saying, I write these things. Everything John has written was written by the, by the inspiration, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. This is God writing to you and to me. And he's saying, God hears the prayers that are in accord with his will. Let's be characterized by praying those prayers. And when we see God's will unfold, we rejoice in those prayers, those answered prayers. All right, I thought to myself, let's see, do I have another slide? I do not. Uh, I thought to myself as, we're, <clears throat> as we were singing through both services now, um, the, the, the joy that should be expressed in, in our relationship with God, right? This exp- the, when we sing, right? We're getting ready to sing a song. I'm going to ask the musicians to come on up while I finish up. All right, as we sing this next song, uh, there have been... Uh, doxologies throughout New Testament. We're going to look at some of those in a few weeks, actually, as we look at the, uh, preach it through a series of the glory of God. We're going to look through some of these doxologies. But listen, as we sing this song, I ask you to consider, are you singing with conviction, with a settled belief that these things are true for you and for all believers? So I ask you to go ahead and stand, Right? We're good with standing. All right. So we're going to have stand. And let's sing this song. And let's think about these convictions. And then I ask you to consider, how are you in your communing with our Heavenly Father? Mm-hmm.